Well, good morning. First of all, it's uh, always a pleasure to be uh, in my home church. Uh, come here, see some familiar faces that I haven't seen for a long time. I uh, got reminded by Karen this morning that I spent an awful lot of time at their house uh, when I was a teenager. And uh, it's such a blessing to be able to come home and be with what I would consider to be family. One of the other sides of uh, the coin, though, is I come home and I meet the people of the church, and I don't know everybody anymore. And that's exciting to me, because the church here is continuing to have new life. And that's something that we're going to talk about this morning. My message this morning is uh, titled, The Power of Influence. And you guys have been working through uh, the book of Luke, and this morning, uh, Michael... uh, asked me to speak on something uh, from the chapters 12 and 13. So I'm just going to give you a brief overview of uh, those two chapters. And for me, in studying the commentaries and stuff like that, there seems to be about seven sections in these two chapters. And so I'm going to break them down into those seven parts. And I want you to pay attention to one thing in all of these. So the first section is generally, it's, Fear God, not man. And that comes in Luke 12, 1 through 12. And it comes as a warning. Then the second section is be mindful of your resources and your time, your stewardship. And that comes in Luke 12, 13 13 through 21. And again, it comes as a warning. Then the third section... It's about trusting God. And that comes in Luke 12, 22 through 34, and that's an encouragement. And then the fourth section, faithfulness is in stewardship. And that comes Luke 12, 35 through 48, and it's a warning. And then the next section, number five, is judgment and accountability. And that comes in Luke 12, 49 through 13, 9, and that is a warning. And then in uh, the sixth section would be unrepented Jewish leadership. And that's more of a, it's a warning, but it's also just a reality check. It's, it's, it's just Jesus checking in on reality of, of how the leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders were unrepentant. And that comes in Luke 13, 10 through 17. And this last section, number seven, the kingdom he brings in Luke 13, 18 through 35, is where I want to spend this morning. And it's an encouragement. It's also a warning. And at the end of uh, that section, there's a, a little bit of a reality section as well. What we want to talk about this morning is the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. In Luke 13, tw- uh, 18 through 21. So if you want to Turn in your Bibles to there. Have that ready. We're going to be digging into those three short verses quite a lot. But I want to set the the context here. So we look through those seven sections, and you'll notice that it's warning, 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 a bit of an encouragement, warning, warning. So there's this overall theme of what Jesus is talking about through these uh, two chapters, a lot of it 
is warning, preparation. Make sure you are good stewards of your time, these kinds of things. Okay, keep that in mind as we read this last section. Another thing is that these were thousands of people that Jesus was that were kind of following Jesus around after he did some miracles. So he, he goes out and he starts speaking to them in parables. Now, a little bit of context. Remember, they were looking for a coming Messiah, right? And they weren't thinking of Jesus the way we understand Jesus. Because when they were thinking of a Messiah, they were looking for quick deliverance. Okay, they were, they were thinking it was going to be something like, like David, you know, a conquering king who would come and, and, and raise Israel up. Or maybe they thought it was, he was going to be like a liberator like Moses, and he was going to set them free. But Jesus' kingdom, people started following him around, and they started to question, like, well, Jesus, I don't really see you conquering any kingdoms. I don't really, I don't really see you liberating See, he's doing a lot of miracles, but they come to this time where all of a sudden they're questioning him and they're saying, what is your kingdom like? Because it's, it's not really shaping up the way we were expecting. And this is where we find Luke 13, 18 through 21. I'm just going to pull out my, my Bible here. And let's read together the parable of the mustard seed. It says, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? So they were questioning him. And to what shall I compare it, Jesus says? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew, and it became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Well, It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. May God bring his blessing to the reading of his word. So let's take a look at some of the symbology that uh, um, exists in this parable. And I want to, in your insert, there's uh, seven points that are laid out. Sorry if there was misconfusion there on the seven sections I was talking about in Luke, those aren't the seven I was talking to, or wanted you to fill out, but there, I have seven points, seven symbols, seven things to pay attention to that we can learn from in this parable about the mustard seed and the leaven. So, point number one is potency. Now, it's by no accident that Jesus chose a mustard seed. Okay, how many of you, when you're eating a teen burger at the local A&W, have like bit into that burger and a little clump of mustard has fell onto your shirt or something like that? Mustard in terms of color, it's hard to get out, it dies, it's got a pungent flavor. But back then, one of the things, like when they're harvesting mustard seeds, one of the things about mustard is that it's, it's caustic, it's pungent, it's abrasive, it's sharp. In flavor. This is by no accident that Jesus chooses this description for the kingdom of God. The gospel message is is pungent, it's abrasive, it's sharp, and it's caustic. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, I mean it's, it's potent. 
Even in Luke 12, 49 through 53, Jesus even says, I didn't come for peace, but I came for divi- I came in division. And what he's talking about there is the message of the gospel is so potent and so different from the world that it's going to cause father and son to separate. He's not coming and saying, like, I want everyone to be separated. That's not what he's saying. He's saying in that passage that the message of the gospel is about his kingdom, and his kingdom is so different than the world that it's going to cause division. Okay, so the message of Christ is pungent, it's abrasive, it's sharp, it's caustic. Following Jesus requires your whole life dedication. The gospel message is is difficult because it confronts us with our own sin. Some people respond to it in repentance, and some people ignore it. In fact, some people will revolt directly against it and fight against the gospel message. How do you respond to it? Do you respond with repentance? I'm assuming that the people are here because you have responded to the gospel message with repentance. And then we look back at the parable, and it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, that man being Jesus or God. Number two, seeming insignificance. Okay, so Jesus takes the time to point out that the seed is small. If you look even in uh, Matthew's description, says that it's the smallest of the seed. Now, I have to address some skeptics of this, uh, you know, this take on, on the verse, because some people will say, well, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed. Jesus must not be divine, or else he would know that tobacco seeds are smaller, or something like that. But... Jesus here is speaking uh, in an idiom. And if you're not familiar with that literary term, we use it all the time in our language. We might say something like something as small as a grain of sand or small like a, a flea. It's just saying something is very small. And so Jesus is turning a phrase about something small like a grain of sand. He's using an idiom. And mustard was a common field herb at that time. Many would recognize it. And many would have planted it and realized that it was small. And it was probably even part of the vernacular. They might say something like, oh, that kid is real small. He's like a mustard seed. Jesus is stating here, he's not talking about botanical fact. He's stating that the kingdom is uh, starting small. It's going to come from humble beginnings. See, remember, at the start in the context, they said that the people were expecting the Messiah to come, and they were expecting this conquering king. They were expecting this liberator that would come in and stand up to Pharaoh. And Jesus, while he stood out by the miracles that he did and and the way that he spoke out against the Pharisees, a lot of times it didn't really seem like he was winning. And so... When he's talking about the kingdom of heaven starting as a mustard seed that's sown, he's talking about it starts out small. Jesus knows their messianic expectations. 
He knows that they're expecting a king. He knows that they're expecting a, a liberating force. So he wants to convey to them, to those that would actually hear, that put that expectation to rest and be a little bit patient. Because it's going to start small and it's going to seem insignificant. But you just wait. It's going to grow into a tree. And so we look back at the parable and he says, What is my kingdom like? Well, it's like, it's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in, the, in his garden and, and it grew and it became a tree and the birds of the air made their nest in its branches. Well, birds can't nest in branches if you're talking about an herb. Third point, extraordinary, extra, extraordinary growth. So again, I need to address some skeptics of this verse. Has anyone ever seen a mustard tree before? Put up your hand if you've seen a mustard tree. Well, if you have, maybe, maybe you saw something that doesn't exist. I don't know, but mustard trees don't exist. Okay, a mustard seed grows into a large plant, but it's not a tree. So skeptics again would be saying, well, Jesus must not be divine. Because if he was, he would know that this is, a, this is a plant, not a tree. But just keep in mind, who is Jesus? He's God. And Jesus, again, much like he was using a literary term like an idiom, he's also familiar with hyperbole. And so he's, he's talking about extraordinary growth. This is going to grow into something that you're not expecting. It's going to be supernatural. It's not going to grow into an herb. It's going to grow into a tree. And if you look at the Greek, it comes from the Greek word dendron. And that is directly translated to tree. So there's been biblical scholars from time to time that have come in and, and tried to say, well, maybe we should change that to plant to, to make sure that it lines up so that we don't have this kind of controversy with skeptics. But I think to remove the word tree actually takes away from the message that Jesus is trying to get across. See, Jesus is posing a rallying cry to the, to the people, and, he, and he's saying it's going to start off small, And it's going to grow, and it's going to grow into what maybe you might be sort of expecting, but then it's going to go beyond that, and it's going to turn into something far greater than you could ever expect. Currently, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. 31.11% of the world claim to be Christians. That's huge. It's huge. So we have much to be thankful for. But the point I want you to pay attention to here is that this parable is about extraordinary growth. It's supernatural. Point number four, symbol number four, is simply the tree, and it's related to the previous one. And it grew and it became a grand tree. And the tree represents God's kingdom. 
And so Byron was up here and he's talking about David and he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is right in line with my sermon. It's perfect. God ordained. I'd ask you to turn to Daniel 4, 10 through 12. And we're going to read just a a short section here in Daniel. See if something sounds familiar here. It says, and this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. It says, the visions of my head... I lay in in bed uh, were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to the heaven. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth, and leaves and be- or, its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of heaven of the heaven lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like Jesus is possibly even quoting Daniel 4.10? See, Jesus made lots of references to Old Testament scripture because the people at that time would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. They spent a lot of their time uh, uh, going over these things. They would have been very familiar in particular to the prophetic portions of scripture. This was a vision of Nebuchadnezzar. That he brought to Daniel and said, Daniel, can you interpret this for me? There's a little bit more after this small section that I read where in the dream, someone comes, a figure comes and says, cut that tree down. And I could go and read the rest of it, but for time's sake, I'll just paraphrase it for you. Daniel uh, interprets a dream and says, Nebuchadnezzar, this is about your kingdom. See, your kingdom, it grew huge and big, and it was, everyone was benefiting from uh, your kingdom growing so large. But God says, I'm going to cut it down. And your kingdom ends because God is in control, and God decides who rules. See, Jesus is making reference to this because that was a human kingdom. That was something man-made. And Jesus here is saying, my kingdom is like that, but it's not going to get cut down. It's going to be forever. It's going to be beyond what you would expect. So you want me to to be some kind of conquering king that's going to raise up a nation and be very powerful like the Babylon Empire. But that's not what it's going to be like. It's going to be a little bit different than that. Human kingdoms fall. Jesus' kingdom will reign forever. Point number five, and this one we'll probably spend a little bit more time on. The birds of the air made nests in its branches. Now, if if you've done some study on this passage, or you've you've probably heard someone preach on it before, there's a few different interpretations interpretations of this passage. Um, So I'm going to go through both of them. And I think both of them actually can exist at the same time and not conflict with one another. Um, So, first interpretation is that this mustard seed is planted, the tree grows up, and it's so big, and it's God's kingdom. So God's God's kingdom, Christianity, is going to cover the whole earth, which we actually see today. I don't think there's very many places in the world that don't know about Christ's message. Okay, so it's prophetic that has come true. But this portion where it talks about 
the birds nesting in its branches, uh, it, can, it can be understood as, as everyone is welcome to be a part of the kingdom. Everyone can come and benefit from it. And it's got this welcoming, loving kind of sense to it. And we can look at Ezekiel 17, 22 uh, through 24. I'm just going to flip there. Just give me a second. It says, uh, thus says the Lord God. And this is, again, Old Testament prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy. I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar and I will set it out. I will break off the topmost of its young twigs, a tender one, and I myself will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird and the shade of its branches, or, and the bird, shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I bring low the high tree and make high the low tree, dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Again, it's Jesus is saying, it's me who's in control. And you notice here that the trees all acknowledge that this one tree is, is the messianic tree, if you want to call it that. Okay, so it's prophesying Jesus and God sending his son to die for us that it might grow into this grand tree and all of the other trees and all, everything would acknowledge God. Okay, the birds are drawn to the large shelter for the tree. All the creatures benefit from it. The grandeur of the tree bears witness to the greatness of God. Okay, so this is something that we can take as an encouragement. You know, like Christianity started with, with such a small, humble beginning, but it's become what we know today. That's one, that's, that's one and a very major interpretation of this section. The birds represent just the, the fact that anyone is welcome. The second interpretation has a bit more of a warning to it. And it doesn't change the meaning of the parable. It just looks at some other context and maybe applies that context to the situation. So the second interpretation is the tree represents the kingdom of God. The birds represent outside influence or dissenting or misleading voices presented alongside the kingdom. So it's evil working against the kingdom, living right in close. And I want us to take a look at Luke 8, 4 through 15. And this is the parable of the sower. And you're probably familiar with this one. This one is uh, a very well-known, probably the most well-known parable of Jesus. And I, I'll just kind of quickly paraphrase it. But the parable of the sower is very similar to this one, where you have God going out and sowing seeds, and the seeds fall on different soils. And when I was in high school, Mr. Payne uh, was my, my English teacher, and he made us uh, dive into this parable and explain what each of the soils meant. And so 
when we when we dug into it, uh, you know, you have the 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 seed that falls on the good soil. It grows uh, a good plant. You have the seed that falls on the rocky uh, soil, and the seeds start to germinate a little bit. But the birds come and get the seed, and they take it away. And you have the the, the seed lands on the soil with the weeds and and so on. But the point here is that the bird in this parable is about something taking the gospel away so that it cannot grow anymore. And that's interpreted as the devil. Um, but what, I, what I'd like to note is that all of these parables kind of come at the same time. Jesus is, is preaching all of these at the same time. So when, when he's preaching this, he would make this comparison and then not use the same comparison when he brings up the exact same imagery later on. It just, contextually, it would make more sense if he's giving a bit of a warning to those who would understand it. Because even with the parable of the sower, they ask him, Lord, what does this mean? And he actually explains it, and he says, this is the key to all the parables. He, like, it, it's right there in the Bible, and it's, this is the key. And so he explains, the bird is evil influences, the devil's schemes that come and take the gospel away. So what does that mean for us when we look at this idea of outside influences, of these birds making nests in the branches of the kingdom of God? Now, does that mean that the kingdom of God is somehow evil and there's evil schemes uh, you know, within the kingdom of God? I don't think so. Because there's one really important distinction to make. Is the bird a part of the tree? bird is not a part of the tree. The bird is separate from the tree. The bird comes and nests in the tree, benefits from it, hangs out. It's just kind of hanging around. And so for me, it's the impact of outside influence. Like how many times uh, throughout Jesus's ministry does does he talk about Outside influences coming into your life and taking you away from from what the gospel message truly is. Think about your own life. Think about the different things that come into your life. Like even just something as simple as like cultural stances, political stances, social media, social justice. All of these things, I'm not saying are particularly bad, but they're outside influences. And so I think Jesus here is talking about being careful what you let influence the actions of your life. So, I'm going to ask this question. Uh, which one of the two interpretations is correct? Just the fact that they're just, it's a welcoming, kind of everybody feels good about, you know, the kingdom of God is so large and it can come in. Or, you know, are we thinking about these birds and thinking about the outside influences that might be present or very close by to our Christianity? So, again, throughout these two chapters, there's repeated warnings. Warning, 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 warning. And then a little bit of a little, like a little encouragement, and then a dose of reality, and then warning, warning, warning. For me, this is the end of this section. It feels like Jesus is saying, like, this is an encouragement, 
to you guys who can't see the kingdom yet. We're on the other side of it a little bit more. But he's saying to them, as this kingdom grows into a tree, just be careful of what you pay attention to. So first of all, what's the encouragement? The kingdom will grow and become grand and give testament to the Lord. The kingdom will bring blessing, refuge, and safety in in declaring the glory of the Lord. This is all true. Across the world, think about the many blessings that the gospel of Jesus Christ has brought to the world. Even the world that doesn't believe in him. It's quite spectacular. How does this compare to what we know in Christianity? Well, Jesus' words have come to fruition. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Many of the main uh, uh, sources of, of charity and all of that kind of stuff, they, they, a lot of them have roots in Christianity. And so what is the warning? First of all, there's congruency between this parable of the sower and the parable of the mustard seed and the leaven. The birds are trying to snatch up the gospel if they ever get a chance. Is Jesus claiming the kingdom is evil? No. No, not at all. He's just making an important distinction. The birds are separate from the tree. This vision in Daniel 4.10-12 through 12 that we took a look at, this vision shows how many benefited from the rise of Babylon, even though uh, those who were not a part of the kingdom, they, they still benefited. Right? Because through a, a giant kingdom that has that much power comes a lot of benefit. And this is similar to the kingdom of God. Evil is external to the kingdom, but evil is still present. It's present, but it's not a part of. The warning here is there are outside influences near the kingdom, even nesting in its branches, waiting to snatch up the gospel for those who would seek to hear it. How does this compare to what we know of Christianity? Outside influences today. Jesus' words, again, have have come to fruition throughout history. The the Christian church has... um, has been full of false teachers. right? We know that to be true. There's been things that have have pulled the church in in different ways that were apart from the scripture. What about today? Outside influences. I just want you to just be cognizant of the things that influence the way that you make decisions. World leaders. Social media influencers. Cultural, political, sociological issues and divides. Man, we're real familiar with that through COVID. People who distort God's word to say what they want. There's a movement right now, and I'm not even kidding you, that would basically... It's part of a, a postmodern thought, and if you're not familiar with postmodernism, it's basically uh, my truth is not your truth. Um, you know, everyone has a relative truth. And so there's a movement, even within Christianity right now, that is like there are certain parts of the Bible that I don't like. So I'm just not going to listen to those parts, and I'm only going to pick and choose what is my truth, and, and that, that's going to be the way it is. 
And so Jesus is saying, beware of these outside influences that are distorting the kingdom of God, that would come to seek to take away the gospel. The birds represent outside influences that the evil one uses to drive those that are a part of the kingdom away from it. So just be careful. Moving on. Number six. Now we're getting into the, the parable of the leaven. Okay, if you're, if you're not familiar with that word leaven, your uh, translation on your Bible may even uh, translate it to yeast. But it was something that they put in the bread to, to make it rise. So number six is the permeating nature of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So permeating nature. So two references to leaven in close succession. If you just turn back uh, a little bit, uh, maybe a chapter to Luke 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm just going to open it up on my phone here. And if I can find it. So this is talking about, in Luke 12, 1 through 3, it might even have a title as something like the leaven, or uh, leaven of the Pharisees or something like that. It says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his uh, disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or, or hidden that will not be known Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the rooftops. Okay, so my question again is Jesus' choice in symbol seems somewhat strange, because just before he says this, he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, and it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. He's saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It is hypocrisy. So again, are we, are we looking at this and we're, and we're thinking, well, Jesus, is the, is the kingdom of God bad? Is the kingdom of God a negative thing? Is that what you're trying to say? No. When Jesus is talking about leaven, and when leaven is referenced in the Bible, he's talking about influence. Now, influence can be either positive or negative. And so when he's talking about the leaven of the kingdom of God permeating through uh, three measures of dough, he's talking about the, the positive uh, influence that permeates the entire thing. And when he's talking about the Pharisees, he's saying their hypocrisy, their negative influence on your life, it also will permeate. If, so it's, it's really about which one are you going to pay attention to? Are you going to pay attention to the gospel? Or are you going to pay attention to this hypocrisy? Okay? So, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. This is a warning against the hypocrisy. And this is a negative comparison. So, when Jesus uses the same metaphor, he's talking about the power of influence. And he's comparing and contrasting. He's showing, that's them, this is me. That's them, this is me. Okay? Luke 12, 1 through 3, uh, the negative influences of Pharisees. Self-serving, self-righteous hypocrisy. Now, there's a few words in there I want to uh, kind of bold. Self, 
self, self, self-serving, self-righteous hypocrisy. And Luke 13, 20 through 21, the positive influence of Jesus, righteousness and salvation. This is actually something, I I was actually pretty familiar with uh, this parable when I first started reading it, but this is something that was new to me that when I did research I I, I came to find out. But when, uh, because I don't bake bread. My my mom bakes a lot of bread, and it's amazing, Um, but I don't. So there's this portion where it says, hit it in three measures. Okay, so if you, if you don't know what that means, like I didn't know what that meant. I was like, yeah, they're making bread. Three measures, sounds right. But this again, much like how Jesus is talking about the mustard seed growing up, not to a plant, but to a tree, and using hyperbole, he again goes to hyperbole here. And Jesus is, is talking about 60 pounds of dough, 60 pounds of flour, So you can imagine how much bread that would make. Okay, so this is not a small amount. Now, I don't, again, forgive me if I'm wrong on this, but from what I read, this is enough bread to feed about 50 to 100 people. So when he's talking about these three measures, he's again using hyperbole. He's saying the power of the kingdom of God has such a positive influence, and it has the potency to leaven the entire thing. It's not going to be stopped. Now, interesting is that he talks about the three measures. And I read, this this may be, you can take this for what it's worth, but this may be interpreted as spirit, mind, and body, as referenced in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It's got enough power to not just change your your spirit, but to change your mind and your body as well. That it changes the whole person, which would be right in line with the next section. I'll get to that in a second. Jesus' righteousness has the power to penetrate and transform all of our sin. All of our sin. I'll just say that one more time. All of it. Now, that could be like there there are sins that relate to your body. There are sins that relate to your mind. There are sins that relate to your spirit. Christ's sacrifice, salvation, covers it all. And not just for me, but for everyone that chooses to accept it. Like, he is talking, when I said potency at the start and he used mustard seeds, that's almost an understatement. Like, the power of the gospel is absolutely transformative. Number seven, transformative quality. Okay, so when he's talking about leaven, one of the key things to remember is how leaven has a transformative quality. First of all, in the mustard seed parable, this is kind of about external growth. This is talking about the kingdom and it expanding across the whole earth. So it's talking external growth. The leaven, on the other hand, is talking about the internal transformation. 
yeast when it's added to bread. If you don't, if you don't, mom, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you don't add yeast to bread, you basically bake it and you pull it out and you got yourself a rock that you want to try to eat. Is that about right? So we're talking yeast when it's put in the in the heat of the oven, in the bread. In that process, now I'm I'm not a baker and I, I don't really understand all those things that well, but it it causes it to rise. And whether or not this is an accurate biblical interpretation, but it brought to mind for me when I run when I wrote down the word rise, I was like, what did Jesus do? You know, he died on a cross, but what happened after that? He rose. He rose from the grave because he conquered death. And that, that him rising caused radical transformation. Is that by accident that he uses this reference? I don't think so. I don't think so. You see, it's no longer flour. It's no longer just dough. You put it in the oven, you have the yeast in there, and it, it completely changes the quality. We all have the potential to rise. Put a little Jesus in it. So, again, what do we say on Easter? You know, He is risen. He's risen indeed. And just like bread, we can rise from our sin. Salvation, once dead in sin, now transformed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are resurrected to new life in Jesus Christ. Once transformed, it cannot return. If we have a loaf of bread, I can't be like, hey, mom, I need some flour. Can you turn that back into flour? It doesn't work like that. Once the gospel gets a hold of your life, once that leaven has worked throughout the dough, and once it's been turned into bread, there is no going back. It cannot return. Once we accept we are part of the kingdom, we are radically changed, and we are never the same. Never the same. So in closing, I want to ask you, the title of this message was Powerful Influence. Right? We spent a little bit of time on, on, on uh, you know, the birds that might be there and might be a distracting influence. But what are you going to let influence your life? We live, I mean, I think every generation thinks this, but it's hard for me not to think that we live in a contentious world. Especially coming out of COVID, it's just issue after issue after issue after issue after issue after issue. Divide after divide after divide after divide after divide. Think of a time you've discussed a contentious issue with a brother. How do you act towards them? Just take a second to think about that. How do you act towards them? How are you influenced? Now, I suffer from this, and i got to remind myself, but is your stance the most important? Now, I'm not picking on any one particular issue, but sometimes we can lose perspective. Sometimes we can spend so much time listening to the birds that we get distracted from the fact that we're part of the kingdom. So we have this... Trees versus the birds, at least in my, in my view. And Lord, please, 
What does the Bible say? How does the Bible say we should act? How does the Bible say we should respond? How does the Bible say we should be influenced by, uh, by Jesus? And when I started praying about this, the one verse that came to mind, and this is probably very familiar to most of you here, but the fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? There are nine of them. I've tried to make my kids memorize them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness or generosity, gentleness or meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. What does Jesus say later in, in different scriptures through the gospel? What does Jesus say? What does he say when the disciples ask him, like, you know, how are we supposed to act? And what does Jesus do? Well, you know what? He got down on the floor and he started washing their feet. And Jesus says we need to have a servant's heart. So seven questions to close that I want you to consider as we, we go from here. First question, have you let the potency of Jesus' message, have you let the potency of Scripture penetrate your heart? Have you let the potency of Scripture, have you let the potency of the Gospel penetrate your heart? Number two, in what small ways have you displayed the fruits of the Spirit? Because sometimes we can feel like, I'm just not doing enough, God. But sometimes those, those things, that the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, sometimes those things are more of a witness than you would ever imagine. I'm not saying it's the only thing. I'm just saying sometimes things start small, but it's those things, how we respond to other people that can draw them into the kingdom of God. Third question. When God was talking about the, the different trees in the different prophecies, who does he proclaim? And when I, when I hear some of the strong words that the Lord uses, it's like he's yelling. I am in control. It's me who does these things. I bring this one high, I bring this one low, I, I make this one have lots of water, I make this one have none. Do you trust God is in control? I mean, we... The world right now, I mean, Brian, Byron talked about Russia and Ukraine and lots of the different issues that are going on. It's just like we can get so wrapped up in it. It's like, do we trust? God, are you in control? And the answer is, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Are you rooted in Jesus? Are you rooted in Jesus? Jesus puts it this way. I am the vine. You are the branches. Right? Are you rooted in Jesus? Are you aware of the outside influences nesting close to Christianity? Can you recognize them? Are you familiar enough with the scripture to be able to say, oh, n- nope, that's wrong. That is not what God's word says. Are you familiar enough to be able to recognize the outside influences nesting very close to Christianity? Will you be influenced by righteousness Or self-righteousness. This is the comparison that Jesus is making between the Pharisees and his message. Will you buy into self-righteousness? Which is what our world talks about a lot. Self, 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 self. Or will you give up your life 
die to self, and be radically transformed by the message of Jesus Christ. Last, last thing. Do you believe that Jesus can radically transform your life? I mean supernaturally transform your life. Right? Like when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, it's like it's not growing into a plant, it's growing into a tree. When he's talking about the leaven, it's like it, when it rises, it no, can't go back. Do you believe Jesus can radically transform your life? Because that's the power that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, and as someone who works in advertising, and, and God, I try to come up with metaphors that, that speak to, you know, even just two issues. And here you have three verses, God, that there is so much depth. God, you are an amazing God. And Jesus, you are an amazing wordsmith. May we not gloss over some of these short passages, some of these short or, or, or seemingly uh, you know, simple to understand, God. If you, if you dig in, there is so much to be found in your word. God, it is alive. Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray that, that you would uh, bless it. And I pray that if there's anyone here who wants to know more about the gospel of Jesus Christ, God, there are so many people here who have lived godly lives their whole life. I grew up with them in the church. God, and there's people I don't even know here that feel the same. There are plenty of people here that would be willing to share that gospel. So if you want to hear it, you want to know about it, you want to know more about the transformative power of Jesus Christ, just turn around and ask someone here. Because we'd love to share it with you. Because it will radically transform your life. Lord, I pray that, that we would be good stewards of our time and good stewards of how we read and understand your word. I pray this all in the precious name of our Lord Jesus, who is the tree that supernaturally has grown across the whole world. I pray all these things in your precious name, Lord. Amen.